It is that time of year again. The days are slowly but surely getting shorter. The temperature is slowly but surely starting to cool off more and more. And before we know it, the leaves will start changing colors. That's right, folks. Fall is in the air. It's coming soon. And with the coming of fall is what many consider one of their most favorite holidays of the year. Halloween. And of course, with Halloween comes some of my favorite things of all time. Horror movies. In this series, I'm going to share with you some of the movies that I consider to be foundational to my lifelong love of horror. Now, some of these movies are going to be older than some of you even listening to this show. <laughs> That's okay. Just remember, these are the movies that lit that spark in me to love horror. Welcome to My Horror History. Welcome to Voluntary Input. The movie begins with a sweeping shot of New York with the classic haunting theme that is just as famous as the movie itself. We then join Rosemary and her husband Guy, an actor, as they are shown an apartment in an old building, the Branford Building. Rosemary is obviously in love with the apartment and finds the previous tenant, who had since passed away, kept an herb garden. As she looks over some old books, she notices a stack of letters. An odd sentence jumps out to her that reads, I can no longer associate myself. The landlord notices something odd as well. A large secretary, who's basically a large dresser drawer, had been moved in front of a closet. There's no way the old lady that used to live here could have done this herself. Rosemary's husband, Guy, helps him push it back to where it once, be once was before. They look into the closet and they find nothing out of ordinary, just a vacuum and, and some towels, a typical closet. They go to have dinner with their close friend Hutch later. He tells them a story about the new building that they are looking at, a story of witches. He also tells them a dead baby was once found in the building wrapped in newspapers. Rosemary and Guy return to their new apartment. It's mostly empty, but they have brought a prepared dinner with them and spend the night, but not before Rosemary suggests they do a little bit more than just sleep. 
Soon they have brought in painters and movers as they slowly began making the apartment their new home. Rosemary is happy to have lightened up the walls and the closet. Rosemary meets a new friend, Terry, in the laundry room. They're startled by a loud noise and choose to meet each other because they're creeped out by the basement. Terry mentions that she is staying with a family named the Castavets. She shows Rosemary her good luck charm for when they're in the basement together. Rosemary notices it has a strange smell. Terry explains it's filled with some stuff. She explains the Castavets took her in as she was homeless and once hooked on drugs. Guy and Rosemary are later together in their room and they notice that they can hear arguing through the walls. Guy sarcastically points this out. Then they hear strange chanting. One night, Rosemary and Guy are walking home and they see a large crowd and policemen. They find Terry bloody on the sidewalk. The cops find a suicide letter. Just then, the Castavets walk up. The police explain the situation. Mr. Castavets explains that every three weeks or so, Terry would get very depressed, so he's not surprised by her suicide. Mrs. Castavets says there's no way. Maybe she was cleaning the windows. But then the cops show her the suicide letter. Rosemary is having trouble sleeping. She keeps seeing images of Terry, but also a nun who is speaking in the voice of Miss Kasovitz, who is explaining, I told you not to tell her. She wouldn't be open-minded. But it appears Rosemary is obviously having a dream, mixing images and messages from her Catholic school days with the present. Mrs. Kastovitz comes to visit Rosemary. She thanks her for the other night considering Terry's death. Mrs. Kastovitz tours the apartment. They have coffee together, and Mrs. Kastovitz invites Rosemary and Guy for steak dinner. Later, when Guy comes home, Disappointed because he did not get a big part that he was hoping for, Rosemary tells him that they were invited to dinner. And she also points out that Mrs. Kastovitz is quite nosy. You know, she just seems like a meddling little old lady in a way. She tells Guy about the dinner invite. And at first, of course, he says no. Because he just doesn't want to get stuck with an old couple like them. (laughs) But then he finally agrees and they join the Kastovitz for dinner. And Mr. Kastovitz first serves them vodka blush. He tells them he's been everywhere. He's traveled all over the world. He says he travels. He's been traveling for business and pleasure since he was nine years old. Then at dinner, Mr. Kastovitz makes the comment that no Pope ever visits a city where the newspaper is on strike. See, in this year, the Pope had planned a visit to the States, as is customary from time to time. Guy makes the joke, (laughs) that's show business. Mr. Castavet excitedly explains that that's exactly what all religions are. 
He then says to Rosemary, you're not religious, are you? She explains she was brought up Catholic. But then he begins to tear into it, basically. He says she doesn't need to have respect for the Pope just because he pretends to be holy. Guy says, yeah, that's a good point. Mr. Kastovitz points out that he wonders why Guy didn't have the lead in the popular play Luther. He says, this is the play that pointed out to him the hypocrisy in organized religion. It's obvious the Kastovitz are setting some sort of groundwork. Later, Rosemary helps Mrs. Kastovitz with the dishes. They talk a bit about Rosemary's family. But Rosemary is obviously ready to go. She glances to where the men are sitting, but she can't really see or hear them. She can just see puffs of cigarette smoke from around the corner where they're sitting. They must be discussing something very interesting. We then see Guy staring very intently at Mr. Kastovitz. He's obviously enthralled by something he's being told. Mrs. Kastovitz says, Stop filling Guy's ears with your majestic stories. He's only listening because he's polite. But Guy says, No, no, it's, it's really very interesting, Mrs. Kastovitz. She says, Many. I'm Minnie, and he's Roman, okay? Obviously doing away with the formalities. Guy and Rosemary leave and return home. Guy says he finds Roman's stories very interesting, and he wants to meet with Roman the next day to talk to him more. Rosemary points out that they kind of already had plans with old friends. Guy says it's okay. He'll go, and she doesn't have to come if she doesn't want to. Rosemary basically says, yeah, fine. I'll just stay home and you go. But she then points out something odd that she noticed while they were at the Kastovitz for dinner. All of the pictures on their walls had been taken down. She could see the marks on the walls where the pictures once were, but for some reason they were gone. We then find Rosemary about to relax to some jazz the next evening, but there's a buzz at the door. It's Minnie and her friend, Laura Louise. Minnie explains that she had just met Guy, and now she would like to meet Rosemary. They come in, and Minnie and Laura Louise pull out their knitting. Minnie gives Rosemary a gift. It's the exact same charm that Terry had, the good luck charm with the strange smell. Minnie explains that there's Tavis root inside. Later on, Guy is home and Rosemary explains that she was given the present that was Terry's old good luck charm. Guy just kind of brushes it off. He doesn't seem very impressed, but asks if she's going to wear it. She tells him it stinks. He sniffs it and laughs. And then he says, eh, not too bad, though. Rosemary goes to put it away in a jewelry box, but Guy says, but hey, if you took it, you ought to wear it. 
Later, Guy receives a phone call. Something has happened. He has gotten that big part that he originally wanted. The actor who first got it has suddenly gone blind. Guy now has the part. He tells Rosemary he needs to clear his head so he's going to go for a walk. Rosemary goes to see Hutch to tell him the news about how Guy got this new part. Later, she and Hutch go for a walk. Hutch explains that he heard about what happened to Terry. When Rosemary returns home, there's a big, beautiful bouquet of roses, and Guy is apologizing to her, explaining he's felt bad for focusing so much on his career. He tells her they should have a baby, even three babies. This is something Rosemary has been wanting for a long time. Guy shows that he's even jotted down on the calendar on the calendar when they should start trying. Rosemary is very, very happy about this. They're then having a romantic dinner together, but there's a buzz at the door. Rosemary stays at the table and Guy goes to answer and it's Minnie. You can hear them kind of inaudibly talking, kind of loud though, but you can't really understand what they're saying. Rosemary whispers to herself, No, don't let her in. Not tonight. After some chatter, we hear that Minnie doesn't want to stay. She brought a chocolate dessert for them. When Rosemary first tries it, she notes that it's very good. But then she notices there's an odd chalky aftertaste. Guy says he doesn't taste anything. He talks her into eating the rest of it. She sends Guy to change the record they've been listening to. And when he walks away, she scoops all the rest of the dessert out onto her napkin in her lap to make it appear as if she had eaten it all when he comes back. Later, however, as Guy is watching TV and Rosemary is cleaning up, she's suddenly very dizzy. He says maybe it was from drinking. And maybe because she didn't really eat all day. He helps her to bed and she quickly passes out. She then has a very, very strange dream. This scene is filled with very powerful imagery. Guy removes her clothing and her wedding ring. Their friend Hutch is there, but he's not coming with them on the boat they are on. She's told she should go below deck because there's a storm. As she slowly makes her way down, there's a large bed in the middle of the room. Rosemary lays down and a group of people gather, chanting, in the group, Guy, Minnie, Roman. And they were all naked, chanting. Rosemary says, This is no dream. 
This is really happening. She sees images of Guy, the Pope, and something else. The next morning, Rosemary and Guy wake up. He explains that she passed out. Rosemary notices some deep scratches on her. He makes a joke about it and apologizes and says he's already trimmed his nails. But he didn't want to miss baby night. And he was a bit drunk too, so he may have gotten a little rough, he explains. Later on, as Guy is practicing for his new part, Rosemary points out to him that she feels like he hasn't been looking at her. Soon after, Rosemary is seeing her doctor for a pregnancy test. And then a few days later, she receives the call. She's pregnant. She's very happy and excited. On the call, the doctor explains he would like another blood sample. He explains the nurse didn't draw enough the first time and they need to check her blood sugar. Guy returns home and she gives him the news. She says she wants this to be a new beginning for them. He apologizes again, says he's sorry for being so caught up in his work. He says he would love to tell Minnie and Roman. He leaves to go tell them. But then she's still thinking about what the doctor said to her about needing to give another blood sample. This still strikes her as a little odd. Guy returns with Minnie and Roman. They congratulate her, but then immediately recommend a new doctor to her, a Dr. Saberstein. Guy goes along with their endorsement, mentioning that he's the best and, and he's pretty famous and well-known. Minnie calls him immediately and gets an appointment for Rosemary the next morning. Later that night, Rosemary simply cannot sleep. She decides to go get the lucky charm that she had put in the jewelry box and puts it on. The next day, she sees Dr. Saberstein. He tells her not to read pregnancy books. He says no pregnancy is ever exactly like the ones described in books. He tells her not to listen to her friends. She explains that her previous doctor, Dr. Hill, prescribed vitamins. He tells her no, no vitamin pills. But instead, Minnie Castavet has an herbarium. And I'm gonna have her make a daily drink for you that will be fresher, safer, and more vitamin rich than any pills on the market. He tells her to only call him with any questions. Later, she meets Minnie for her first taste of this new drink cocktail. And then Rosemary returns home to Guy, practicing his lines. But she looks different. She's had her hair cut extremely short. And then she explains to him she's been having these sharp pains. She goes back to Dr. Saverstein, who tells her to just take aspirin. She says she was worried it might be an atopic pregnancy. 
He says, I thought you weren't going to read any books. But her pain isn't going away. She cooks something to eat. Steak. But she barely cooks it. She leaves it tartare. And she quickly gobbles it down. Hutch comes to visit, and he's shocked by her appearance. She's pale, thin, with her hair cut off. She explains that her haircut is Vidal Sassoon, and that it's very in. (laughs) He tells her that she looks terrible. She explains she's pregnant, but he points out pregnant women gain weight, not lose it. She tells him she's seen Dr. Saperstein. Roman suddenly comes to the door. Rosemary invites him in and notices his ears are pierced, which is very uncommon at this time. Remember, this was in the 60s, and older guys don't have pierced ears. (laughs) They have a discussion about natural versus established vitamins. Hutch expresses curiosity about Tavis Root. Roman goes to leave and says, We'll meet again, I'm sure. Later, Rosemary and Hutch are talking about Roman and Minnie. She points out Roman's pierced ears, and that Minnie is very nosy, but quite funny, just quirky. And that guy has gotten really close to them. She tells him sometimes she feels like they may be a little too friendly, though. Guy comes home earlier than expected. He said they wrapped up sooner than he expected. And Hutch explains he, he needs to leave anyway. As he goes to leave, he, he notices he's missing a glove. A quick check in the closet. It's not there. Eh, maybe he left it on the train or something. So he leaves. Guy says he needs to step out real quick anyway too to get a newspaper. Voluntary Input is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast, make money doing it. Go to anchor.fm slash start to join a diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. A few days later, Guy is in front of the TV. Hutch calls to speak to Rosemary. He wants to meet Rosemary the next morning in front of the Time Life building. He doesn't want to tell her why now. He wants to meet her for lunch the next morning. He still didn't find his glove. Guy explains that he's suddenly craving ice cream. 
So he steps out to get them some. The next day, Rosemary stops by to tell Minnie she's she's leaving to go have lunch with her friend, so she won't be having her daily drink. She goes to meet Hutch at the Time Life building, but he never shows up. She finally calls Hutch's apartment and is told that he suddenly became ill and is now in the hospital. He's in a coma. As Rosemary is walking out, oddly, Minnie suddenly shows up. She suggests that they head home. Rosemary continues to have pains. They seem to be getting worse. At a New Year's Eve party, Dr. Saperstein continues to assure her there's nothing to worry about. As the clock chimes midnight, Roman raises a glass and says, It's 1966, the year one. Everyone happily drinks to his toast. We later find Rosemary preparing a whole raw chicken for dinner. But then she suddenly begins to hungrily consume the raw entrails of the chicken. She happens to glance and see her reflection in the toaster and is sickened by herself. One morning, Guy walks in on Rosemary in the kitchen, planning a party. She says it's for their friends, their older friends, the ones under 60, not anyone in the building like Roman, Minnie, or even Dr. Saperstein. Guy begins immediately trying to talk her out of it. Rosemary is then preparing for her party. Minnie stops by with her special drink. Minnie offers to help with the party, but Rosemary says, no, there's no need. And she'll drink her drink later. When Minnie leaves, Rosemary pours it out. Later at her party, everyone notes how unhealthy Rosemary looks. Guy behaves oddly, keeping an eye on Rosemary and interfering whenever she's having conversations with others. Rosemary breaks down. Her friends get her alone and block Guy out to console her. They tell her the pain is not right and she needs to go to another doctor. After the party, Rosemary tells Guy she's going back to Dr. Hill and she is no longer drinking Minnie's drink. Guy is mad about her friends talking to her. He continues to defend Dr. Saperstein. In the midst of their argument, the pain suddenly stops and she can feel the baby moving. And she's happy again. Because all this time with this pain, she was worried something bad had happened to the baby. Now it's time to fix the nursery. Rosemary is back to drinking Minnie's drink. She and Guy pick out baby things. All seems well again. But Guy seems a little distressed. There is a phone call. Hutch is dead. Rosemary gets to Hutch's funeral late. She meets Grace, 
the woman who she had spoken with on the phone who told her about Hutch being in the hospital. She gives Rosemary a book that Hutch gave to the doctors to get to Rosemary. She tells her that Hutch said the name is an anagram. As soon as she gets home, Minnie is at her door with her drink. Minnie notices the book. Later, Rosemary examines the book. It's titled, All of Them Witches. As she thumbs through, she notices Hutch has underlined some things. The fungus called Devil's Pepper. A highlight of chapter four, Adrian Mercado. As she looks over it, she reads about Stephen Mercado. She whispers, there are no witches, not really. She then remembers what Grace told her. The name is an anagram. She grabs her Scrabble letters and begins to work it out. She spells out, comes with the fall. Elf shot lame witch. How is hell fact me? Ah, she just kind of chuckles a bit. None of this makes any sense. But just as she figures that, she realizes a dovetailed section of the book. The name Stephen is underlined. She begins to spell it out. Stephen Mercado. Once rearranged, she realizes Roman Castavet. Guy returns home. The door is chained shut. He asks if she's okay. She explains to him what she's figured out about Roman in the book from Hutch. Guy plays it off. There's no way Roman is a witch. He just laughs it off. She tells him she doesn't want them over anymore, especially around the baby, and she wants to move. He says she needs to stop reading that book. She next explains her concerns to Dr. Saperstein, who suddenly now seems to agree with her and support her. He even subscribes some regular medication and vitamins. He tells her Roman is very ill and he only has a few months to live. He tells her the Castavets are leaving and he'll actually tell them to leave earlier. We then see Guy and Rosemary seeing Minnie and Roman off for their trip. Roman says he may even stay away. Now Rosemary is a bit more relieved that they're gone. Later, she's trying to find the book that Hutch had given her. Guy flippantly says, oh, I threw it away. Rosemary then goes out to the library to find more information for herself on witchcraft. She throws her good luck charm in the storm drain on the way out. With the new book she's found at the library, she learns more and more about witchcraft. She calls the actor who was struck blind, which gave Guy his part, 
she finds out that Guy has lied about some of the details, especially of them speaking to one another and exchanging ties. Her overall suspicion now extends to Guy. She grabs her hospital overnight bag and goes to see Dr. Saperstein. She doesn't have an appointment and she has to wait for those ahead of her. She learns from the receptionist that Dr. Saperstein has the same smell of the tapas root. Rosemary finally realizes something isn't right with him as well and quickly leaves. She calls her previous doctor, Dr. Hill, and asks to have a call back from the answering service. It's an emergency, she explains. Later, she gets a call back, but Dr. Hill refuses to see her right now. As she pleads with him to see her, a man backs up to the door of the phone booth that she's in. He explains he's very tired. He works like 23-hour shifts. He's a doctor after all. Finally, he agrees to meet her, but first he's going to take a nap. The man outside the phone booth seems to slowly move on. She gets to see Dr. Hill and explains everything. He quietly listens. She shows him the books she's been reading. She's relieved. Hill seems to believe her. He said he'll try to get her into Mount Sinai Hospital. He takes her to an exam room to lie down to get some rest while he checks with the hospital to see if he can get her checked in. Rosemary is sure is assured everything will be okay now. As she lies down to sleep, she utters, unspeakable, unspeakable. She then has another very strange dream. Suddenly she hears the exam room door open. She's happy at first, but then Dr. Hill holds the door open for Guy and Dr. Saperstein. They tell her that they just want to take her home. It becomes obvious to her that Dr. Hill has been on, in on everything all along. Back at their building, she creates a distraction. She drops all of her purse contents on the floor. As all of the men attempt to retrieve her belongings, she makes a run for the elevator and gets to her floor. She makes it to the apartment just as Guy and the other men are coming up the stairs. Once inside, she calls her friend Elise, but she is not home. Rosemary catches a glimpse of someone walking past behind her. Just then, Guy, Dr. Saperstein, and others approach her. Stay calm. We don't want to hurt you. Saperstein has a very large syringe in hand. She hits Guy to try to get away. She screams for help. A gag is put in her mouth. Saperstein sedates her, but then notes that she's going into labor. Elise calls back, says Rosemary isn't home. And then Rosemary blacks out. 
she wakes to Guy smiling at her. She asks if the baby is okay. He tells her, yes, and that it's a boy. She gets a bit more rest. She wakes again and wants to see her baby. She's told to just wait. Guy and Dr. Saperstein return, and they appear very saddened. The doctor explains the baby is dead, born in the wrong position. Had they been in the hospital, he may have been able to do something about it. Guy and the doctor try to offer reassurances. Rosemary doesn't believe them. You're lying, you bunch of witches. You took it. You're lying. You're lying. Later, Guy continues to try to comfort her. He says she's suffered from classic postpartum, but now they can move on. He has all the big name movie houses interested in him. They can move. Get a home in Hollywood with a pool. Have other kids. He promises everything will keep getting better. As he goes to leave, she asks to see his left shoulder. He shows her both. Everything is normal. Later, while lying in bed watching the weather report, she overhears a baby crying through the walls. She has brought a pill to take in the days to follow by the other women in the building, but she isn't actually taking them. She manages to make it look like she is. She often slips them in her mouth, and then as the women look away, she takes it out of her mouth and stuffs it in her bedpost. She's also pumping milk. When asked what's being done with it, she's told, oh, Ah, uh, we just throw it away. One night, Guy tells her there are new tenants in the building. She asks if they have a baby. He says, yes, how did, how did you know that? She continues to manage to hide the fact that she's not actually taking the pills being brought to her. One night... She goes to the closet, the one that the previous tenant, the old lady, had somehow pushed that giant chest of drawers in front of. She removes all the towels and the shelves, and she finds that there's a door. She peeks through the keyhole, then goes to grab a knife. Just then, Guy returns home. She quickly runs to hide. Once he goes to change clothes, she quickly returns to the closet and goes through the secret door. On the other side, she finds the truth. Knife in hand, she approaches a group of people. Everything she suspected Everything from her books becomes painfully true and clear.
she approaches a large black cradle and reaches down to see the baby inside. What have you done to it? What have you done to his eyes? He has his father's eyes, Roman calmly explains. Guy has normal eyes. What have you done to him, you maniacs? All the witches rejoice. Guy sheepishly retreats. We are given a quick flash of the baby's evil face. Roman softly speaks to Rosemary. You don't have to join. Just please be a mother to your baby. The others are too old. Just think about it. Guy slowly returns and tells her, They promised me you wouldn't be hurt. And you haven't, not really. Suppose you'd had the baby and you lost it. Wouldn't that be the same? We're getting so much in return. She spits in his face. Minnie offers Rosemary tea. The baby cries in despair. Her motherly instincts kick in. She returns to the crib. Laura Louise is rocking the crib too hard. Roman encourages her. Aren't you his mother? Rosemary comforts the baby in a way only a mother can. Rosemary's Baby is by far one of the most classic horror movies of all time. As a matter of fact, some modern movies still call back to elements of Rosemary's Baby, especially when dealing with women and pregnancies and nightmare situations. Now, a funny story for, <laughs> involving me for this movie. When I first saw it, yes, it freaked me out a little bit. I was a young guy. Um, but, you know, it didn't really have that... Uh, I didn't have anything to, to equate it with because, you know, I'm not a woman. I can't get pregnant. But then I had to have my tonsils out. And guess what movie came to mind? That's right. Rosemary's Baby. Now, how is that? Well, yeah, think about it. Back then, I was going to be put under anesthesia for the first time ever. And I'm going to be trusting all these doctors and people around me that nothing bad is going to happen to me. <laughs> so I equated that in my head. Oh, my gosh. What if there are a bunch of witches? I know, goofy to think about now, <laughs> but at the time, it was it was actually a fear of mine. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed chapter four of my horror history, the classic Rosemary's Baby. I want to thank you for continuing to tune into these as we go on through the Halloween season. 
and you check out my horror history. Now, if you want to know more or tune into the previous episodes, just go to voluntaryinput.com. All of the previous episodes are there, as well as all of our previous shows, videos, and as well as contact information. While you're there, just select contact and you know, give us a shout if you have any questions, comments, show ideas, or better yet, if you would like to be a guest on the show, because we're always, always, always looking for great guests. And also, I want to encourage you guys to not only listen to and support indie, an indie podcast like Voluntary Input, but check out some of the other indie podcasts out there. There are a ton of great ones. Some of my favorites include Scottish Murders, um, uh, the, the podcast that wouldn't die, Drunk Theory, just to name a few. Go check them out. Give them a listen as well. Give them likes and reviews because your support does help us all out. Again, thanks again for tuning in to chapter four of my horror history here on Voluntary Input. We'll see you next time.